All right, uh, welcome to the conversation on right, the TYT network, uh, as all of our shows are. Okay, so uh, we had the eviction moratorium showdown with Cori Bush. Uh, although, of course, Jen Psaki says it wasn't a showdown. We were all going to do the same thing until we had that protest for days and days and days. And then we got mortified and embarrassed and humiliated, and then we did it. I mean, Nancy Pelosi uh, asked us to do it, and that's why we did it. Okay, whatever gets you through the night. Uh, we're gonna have on Max Burns, he's national political columnist of the Daily Beast. He's also the founder of Third Degree Strategies, a progressive communications firm. He does do progressive communications, he's about to do it right now. Hey, Max. How are you, thanks for having me. No problem, uh, good to see a progressive actually write articles in mainstream media. Okay, so um, Max, uh, you know, you wrote a lot about democratic leadership here. On TYT, we've covered a lot about how yeah, of course they weren't going to do it, and they got embarrassed by Corey, and then they did it. They did it because of that pressure. But you you wrote about a you named names, right? And one of the folks that you named was Barack Obama. And so some people might say, well, that's out of left field. He's not in government anymore, and the guy's about to have a lovely birthday party in Martha's Vineyard. What are you getting on him for? So why bring him into this? Well, I'm definitely not getting invited to the birthday party now. <laughs> I think what has been so shocking with Barack Obama, with Hillary Clinton, with other major figures, is their complete silence on these major issues facing the Democratic Party in the country. And people can say, well, Barack Obama is a private citizen. Barack Obama never said he was progressive, but he is the most respected figure in the Democratic Party. And for 12 years, the most respected politician in America. His voice moves markets, moves voters, and he knows that. And it's this inexplicable choice to remain silent on such an easy win for Democrats that has, has raised concern, not just among observers like me, but also among the activist left. Yeah, the only thing I disagree with is it's not at all inexplicable. It's Obama 101. Um, you know. Uh, the guy is obsessed with himself. Uh, and okay, everybody in mainstream media, go cry. I don't care. Okay. Oh, you can't say that about Barack Obama. He's a saint. I'm going to smear you for the rest of your life. Okay. Yeah, I've never seen that dude ever put on his walking boots. Uh, he had that famous line about, oh my God, if there's a union in trouble, I'm going to put on my walking boots. Uh, he's just never been able to find him. To be fair to him, uh, those are, he's got a lot of closets. It's a nice house. Uh, tough to find those walking boots. Uh, but you made a great point. There's more uh, senior Democrats going to that uh, 60th birthday bash than there is uh, that spoke out uh, about this issue on television or anywhere else. Uh, which goes to, you know, I'm going to stay on that, whether it's Obama or Clinton. Um, Max, if we're being honest, they're just elites. Uh, they, I don't think they care at all. I've never seen Obama care about any of these issues. He thinks if he gets involved, what if he loses and that tarnishes his legacy? Uh, what if the politicians don't do what he wants and that tarnishes his legacy? Uh, what if he has to give a damn and that might tarnish his legacy? So me, 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 me. Uh, what leads you to think that any of these Democratic uh, leaders care about regular voters at all? Well, at the moment, that's a tough sell for voters to believe. There just is no sense of urgency on things like the eviction moratorium, on rent rent stabilization, on things like the student loan freeze, on climate being protected in infrastructure. There has really been no driving force on this 
in democratic Washington, except for the progressive left, except for the squad, except for people like Cori Bush, who have pushed and dragged the Democratic Party forward on issues that 60 to 70% of Americans support. And I have to ask myself, if Democrats aren't willing to get off the couch to win an issue that almost 70% of Americans support, that they can win with an executive order, what constitutes an easy enough fight for Democrats? I mean, this is just picking low hanging fruit at this point. And Joe Biden had to be dragged into it by Cori Bush. Yeah, I know what motivates them and will spring them into action, um, fighting a progressive. So those same folks, Hillary Clinton, Jim Clyburn, didn't give a damn about people being evicted, didn't do anything at all, right? But they're like, oh my God, Nina Turner, who actually agrees with Cori Bush on this issue. What if she wins, then they, she might also embarrass us, uh, us corporate goons. So they spent all their time making sure that Nina Turner lost that race. So, but Max, when you look, those things are, when you see the facts are so obvious. Like Clyburn didn't do anything to help people who were gonna get evicted. But he, he's all over the news attacking Nina Turner and congratulations to him, he defeated progressives again. Um, you realize that the problem isn't the corporate Democrats, they're very obvious and brazen, they don't give a damn at all. None of their actions have ever indicated that they give a damn. The problem is the media. Yeah. The, the media goes, oh no, Nina Turner is less democratic than Chantel Brown. Uh, Obama and Hillary Clinton are saints, but you know, Cori Bush is kind of embarrassing democratic leadership. Ooh, nah, she's not a team player, right? Uh, so isn't it the Praetorian Guard, the corporate media, the really the, the problem here in getting people to correct information? Yeah, absolutely, and it's bizarre. It is bizarre the way that resources are being wasted here. Millions of dollars went into Ohio 11, millions and millions of dollars in dark money to defeat Nina Turner. And that money could have gone to a messaging campaign to support rent relief that 67% of Americans support, to support student loan forgiveness that almost 80% of Americans support. Instead, that money was all spent on ammunition to shoot within the party. And in doing so, I think establishment Democrats have fallen into the same thing they accuse the left of, which is saying that the left can talk a big game, but they can't get things done. When in reality, the only things that have been meaningfully done in Congress this term have come because progressives pushed for it. So this focus on, on progressives must be failing because Nina Turner lost, disguises the fact that it, if not for progressives, there would be almost no legislation coming out of this Congress. Yeah, so speaking of money, let's talk about how that affects the eviction issue. So the Democratic Party has gotten millions of dollars from real estate interests. So there's a great article at the Daily Post written by David Sirota about exactly how much money and including a late check from a real estate mogul gave a million dollars in June to the House Democratic Caucus. And lo and behold, there's apparently a dozen Democrats who are conservative corporate Democrats who are gonna benefit from that money who are against lifting the moratorium. And so number one, shouldn't everybody be talking about the real reason Democrats didn't take this action, which is that they got paid not to take the action. And then I'll get to number two, go ahead. 
Yeah, and I think this should surprise Democrats. I think Democrats, establishment Democrats were not prepared for how effectively Cori Bush turned her protest into a national media moment. And at this point, that's really their own fault. The progressive left did the exact same thing to push Joe Biden to raise the refugee cap back in April, and he did that. They used the same tactic again on the eviction moratorium and won again. This idea coming forward that that progressives can't govern, that the establishment is the way to get things done, has been shown to be a fraud again and again. And now that Cori Bush and AOC and others are talking about this follow the money approach of looking at who's backing these votes against extending moratoriums, who's backing these politicians who support the student loan industry. Now the elites are getting very nervous because that's not a fight that they're going to look good fighting. Yeah, and so Nancy Pelosi pretended that, oh golly gee, if we could, we obviously would have extended it. Um, but that's not at all obvious, you didn't vote on it and you chose not to vote on it because you actually would have lost. Because the conservative Democrats would have joined the Republicans. So isn't this a bit of kabuki theater here as they say Biden now under great pressure extended the moratorium and that buys them time to pass a bill. But Max ain't gonna pass a bill. Yeah, I think this is a moment where Nancy Pelosi's tacking to the right of Joe Biden. Uh, and Joe Biden asked the House to stay and continue negotiating this, continue to push forward and try and get a deal on the eviction moratorium. Nancy Pelosi said no. She said we've got to go on vacation. She didn't even bother to try that approach. And that's a pretty, uh, I don't know if I would say courageous, but that's certainly a pretty bold position to tell the President of the United States that this policy priority isn't worth the House's time. And I think given the response we've seen from Cori Bush's protest, Nancy Pelosi's greatly regretting how she's being perceived right now. And that's an entirely unforced error on her part. Yeah, she could have done a much better job of hiding her corruption like she normally does. She bungled that one, oops. Um, so, um, but at the end of the day, if they vote, they're gonna lose. The Democrats are gonna kill it. And so that leads me to my last question, Max, which is, why not just have the vote? And it's okay. You say, okay, Josh Cotton, I remember whoever is going to vote, you know, the standard goons that are the corporate Democrats. They're all corporate, 90% of them are corporate Democrats, but some of them actually are willing to vote that way. And so let them vote no, who cares? And so Pelosi, of course, wants to protect them because they're going to catch a lot of heat if they vote no. But shouldn't we put pressure on Pelosi to say, have the goddamn votes? It's okay if we lose, I get it. Those guys are conservative, I get they're corrupt, I get it. They won't primary them, but just have the votes. Can we just have democracy, please? Yeah, I agree. I agree with progressives who say that we should stand for something as a party. Even if the fight is bloody, it's a fight worth having. And that's the difference between the establishment and progressives. Progressives are willing to engage the fight. And it's not entirely certain that we would lose. What is certain is that if Nancy Pelosi continues to try and test the left and continues to dismiss them as a few people with their Twitter followings, the squad alone has the votes to hold infrastructure up indefinitely. That is a huge negotiating chip. And I'm glad to see progressives really starting to realize they have the exact same power to push their agenda 
as a Joe Manchin or a Kristen Cinema does. And they're unafraid to do it and they're winning because they're unafraid. That's why we started Just Democrats in the first place and there it's beginning to work. It took a little while, we were a little frustrated in the beginning, but this is exactly what they were supposed to do to hold power accountable and they're doing it. All right, Max Burns actually writing truth, in this case, the Daily Beast. So Max, thank you for joining us, we appreciate it. Anytime, thank you. All right, back on the conversation. So we've been talking a lot about the eviction moratorium, not just because it's a really important issue with one out of every six renters potentially getting kicked out of their house soon. But also because it shows you a really interesting divide within the Democratic Party, it kind of exposes it. And we want to talk about the legal aspect of it a little bit here and more about the political division. So we're gonna bring in Joseph Zabayos Roy here. He's the economic policy reporter at Insider. Joseph, welcome. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. So first, before we get the difference between the Biden administration and progressives on this, let's just set the scene legally for this. So they pass a, well, let me ask you. How did we get to the eviction moratorium in the first place? So last year, the Trump administration put in place a moratorium to kind of help keep people in their homes. This was in September. It was renewed, you know, under the under once more under the Biden administration, and then you know it was set to expire on July 30th. Um, you know, it was done through the CDC, and you know, the the legal argument in this case was to um, you know keep people in their homes to prevent the spread of the virus. And, you know, courts have held that until we reached like a, a critical juncture in the summer when um, you know we had like a narrow five to four decision, and um, you know, it's uh, the administrator, the Supreme Court basically ruled at that point that. Um, the minute the moratorium could continue for only one more month, and then what the administration, you know, was really um, kind of looking at was Kavanaugh's opinion, in which he said that you know um, any any authorization to renew it past July 30th would need to be done through Congress. Yeah, I'm not even sure I understand the basis for Kavanaugh's opinion on that. It's it's not binding. They didn't decide a case. It's just you know it it, it has no legal force. Uh, but if the I don't know that if you know this answer, Joseph. But if they uh, if it was done through the CDC and the executive branch, why is Kavanaugh's opinion that they should pass a law even relevant? Well, they didn't pass a law. The CDC did it. It's an executive branch decision in the middle of a pandemic. Is Kavanaugh going to decide the pandemic is over unilaterally? And overruled the executive branch as part of the judicial branch. Is that is that the issue here? I think that was the administration's main concern in terms of you know not want, not extending it. You know they punted it to Congress basically two or three days before it was set to end. And um, you know I think the administration really did want to avoid like a legal showdown with the Supreme Court on this because they were also concerned that um, if they were to rule against the extension of the moratorium, the Supreme Court, given its Slight conservative till at this point, or could you know move to narrow narrow more of their public health public health authorities in the executive branch. So you know I think the administration was clearly spooked by the idea of a negative ruling and a potentially sweeping one that could really constrain its power to like you know fight the pandemic. So uh, there's no question the administration is lying about something. 
Okay, so and I'll tell you why. So on the one hand, they said in the beginning, "Oh my God, we got no legal authority to do this," and then a couple of days later, they said, "Okay, we found legal authority." <laughs> okay, so either um, they always knew there was legal authority, and they didn't really want to do it because the campaign donations they're getting from real estate companies and private equity companies that uh, invest in the real estate, or um, they. Thought they didn't have the legal authority, or and then when they were embarrassed by Cory Bush, they did came out and said, "Oh no, no, we weren't embarrassed by Cory Bush. We'd always planned to do it." But here, I'm going to read you a quote from your own piece, Joseph, and then react within that context. The White House advisor Gene Sperling had said on Monday, "The president has not only not kicked the tires, he has double, triple, quadruple checked, and was unable to find the legal authority." Well, okay, if he quadruple checked, was it the quintuple check that did it a couple of days later? Yeah, I was just about to say, they clearly quintuple checked on this. But, you know, I think, you know, part of the, you know, administration's pretty startling reversal on this had to do with, you know, Congresswoman Cori Bush. Um, you know, she was, she led a very um, critical, you know, movement to, you know, ramp up pressure on. On the administration and on Democrats too to do something about the moratorium. The problem on the legislative side was the Democrats simply didn't have the votes to do it, you know, through the House or the Senate. You know, the House tried to do it, you know, a day before a day before the moratorium ended. That fell through. They didn't have any Republican support in the Senate to to you know renew the moratorium. So it really fell on the administration to you know do something about it, and they were really resistant at first. But you know. Cory Bush spent four nights on the steps of the Capitol. Um, you know, lots of progressive figures. You know, AOC came out in support. Bernie Sanders, even Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, um, you know, came out to show um, you know backing for what Cory Bush is doing. So you know, it, it reached a point in which you know it, the political pressure just became impossible for the administration to ignore. And you know, on the quintuple check, they had to act. Yeah, I, I loved Mondaire Jones' quote about it. He said. It's odd, I think, to raise issues about the constitutionality of your own executive action shortly before making that executive action. So, not something you normally do. Um, Joseph, I have a theory. Uh, they didn't really want to win. Uh, they uh, never actually intended to continue the moratorium. Cory Bush embarrassed them into doing it. They just wanted to take the real estate money. Uh, but when they said that they had no legal authority to do it, they kind of Set themselves up for a win-win because now, since they, if I'm right, and they never wanted to continue the moratorium in the first place, because now if it does go to the court, it's going to be an easy decision for the court, right? The court's going to say, well, the executive branch told us they have no legal authority, and they did it anyway. So now Biden has guaranteed he's going to lose in the courts. Is that a fair reading of it? Yeah, I think that's definitely one one fair reading of it for sure. I mean, you know, it was pretty remarkable that you know, but the uh, President Biden before um, he, you know, the CDC, you know, he was hinting that the CDC would come out with like a decision on moratorium within hours. Um, he gave like a pre- he was speaking at a press conference about the pandemic, and you know, he was asked about this, and you know, he kind of um, undercut his own administration's um, legal footing by saying that you know. That you know, he spoke to some, of some scholars who didn't think it was uh, past legal muster. Others who did, and then you know, he basically hinted that you know, even if it's struck down, um, it would basically buy time for the rental relief program, which you know has forty six, you know, had allocated forty six billion 
only only three billion dollars has gone out the door. You know, buy time for that money to reach you know renters who desperately need the money to be able to stay in their homes. So you know, like progressives clearly um, on this issue notice that, and you know, I think they they're fairly um, they're fairly um, noting that you know the administration has not done itself um, uh, a, a service here by you know undercutting their own ruling before it before the CDC released it. So now, look, they they did wind up extending the moratorium because of the pressure. So that's great. So they bought themselves some time because remember the renters might not have the money. But the good news is, as Joseph just pointed out, the Congress allocated it so they can go get relief. That was a whole part of the point of all of these COVID relief bills, right? So they bought time, but there's two possibilities for what happens in that time. One is. Oh, Congress comes in as and as Kavanaugh, you know, halfway directed, uh, passes a bill to extend the moratorium for longer because it turns out we're still definitely in the middle of the pandemic with the Delta variant raging, etc. Right? Um, well, let's talk about that. Is that possible um, to get the money out before the moratorium expires? You mean? No, no. That's the second option. The first option is actually passing a bill to extend the moratorium. Oh, passing the bill at this point just seems impossible for Democrats. You know, um, I mentioned a little bit earlier that you know House Democrats tried to you know pass you know muster the votes for a bill that didn't happen. Um, a couple dozen or one dozen um, House moderates balked at the idea of any extension, and you know House Democrats have like a three-vote majority, so you know that effort completely collapsed. And um, Pelosi even said today that you know she decided against the idea of like. A recorded vote because she knew she was going to lose, and she, as she put it, she doesn't go to the floor to lose. And you know, it's been reported to the senator, um, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, along with Pelosi, approached you know President Biden at the White House and told them they simply did not have the votes to um, pass the moratorium. I mean, even a couple of Democrats that I talked to in the days leading up to the moratorium and um, after were a little bit skeptical about the idea of renewing it. It seemed seemed like they needed more convincing. But you know the support even among Democratic ranks is just not there at this point. Right. So there goes their theory that oh we were gonna do it. I mean I mean before Corey did the protest we were I mean they were this close to doing it. No, you were never gonna do it. So that's another obvious lie by Democratic leadership. But it does buy them time to actually disperse the funds, right? So how would that work, Joseph? Right, so you know, states. This program has been in place since December of last year. It has forty-six billion dollars, um, you know, designed to reach renters. The problem is that you know, there's not really a national um, apparatus to you know get this get this relief out to you know to renters. Um, you know, states and cities have had huge problems trying to you know stand up these programs, um, and you know, lots of renters have not been able to. Access it. Only three billion dollars out of that forty-six billion is reached renters, and a lot of the problems are stemmed from you know slow rollout, onerous paper paperwork requirements, and sometimes in some cases landlords just simply refuse the money and move to evict. So um, you know I think it's going to be a really big hurdle for the Biden administration to get the other forty-three billion dollars of you know rent laid out in only two months. So they're going to have to kick the tires and try and do something about it for sure. Maybe they should quintuple check to see how they can get the money out. And obviously, there was a giant mistake in the first place, if it was a mistake, to hand it off to the states to do it. Because half the states, or more than half the states, are red states. And they don't want to give the money to the poor anyway. So, 
It's almost as if the real estate interests are gonna win either way. Hmm. Kind of funny how that works. Okay, Joseph, uh, thank you for joining us. Appreciate a good article and insider about it. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me on. No problem.